Thank you, Jesus. Well, it's great to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. And if you're a guest with us this morning, we thank you for coming. It's a it's our, our privilege to have you while you're probably you're on vacation or um, visiting someone in Sedona. So we're thankful that you stopped to worship the Lord with us. Great to have you with us. Um, the, we just go through book of the Bible at a time, and, and today you happen to have joined us when we were are in Joshua, and we're in Joshua chapter 9, and uh, it's, uh, it's a tough book to work through because uh, it's very, the physical warfare in that time uh, was brutal, and God was judging nations, and so... Uh, it's something very different from what we experience today because it's a parallel of the spiritual battle that we're fighting. So we're going to relate the physical to the spiritual as we go through it. Um, in honor of God's word, would you stand with me as I read Joshua chapter 9 to you? As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland, all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, the Jebusites, heard of this, they gathered together as one to fight Joshua and Israel. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn-out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended, with worn-out and patched sandals on their feet and worn-out clothes, and all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We've come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you live among us then. Then how can we... Make a covenant with you. They said to Joshua, We're your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you and where do you come from? They said to him, From a very distant country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God, for we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and the king of Heshbon and Og the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all our inhabitants of our country said to us, Take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. Here's our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day that we set out to come to you. But now, behold, it's dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them, and behold, they have burst. And the garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. So the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them at the end of three days after they'd made the covenant with them, they heard they were their neighbors and that they lived among them. And the people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, uh, Kif, Kifira, Birath, Kiriath, and Kiriath-Jerim. 
But the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders. But all the leaders said to, the, to all the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them. This we will do to them. Let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath that we have sworn to them. And the leaders said to them, let them live. So they became cutters of wood and drawers of water for all the congregation, just as the leaders had said to them. Joshua summoned them and he did to them, and he said to them, why did you deceive us? We are saying, we are very far from you when you dwell among us. Now, therefore, you are cursed, and some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. They answered Joshua, because it was told to your servants for a certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you and did this thing. And now behold, we are in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in your sight to do to us, do it. So he did this to them and delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel, and they didn't kill them. But Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place that he shall choose. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. So Israel had just learned this really hard lesson that we've seen the past few weeks when they attack the town of Ai without consulting the Lord and 36 of their soldiers died. And then they learned another lesson when Joshua was on his face crying out to God saying, why did this happen, God? Instead of, instead of uh, seeking God what they did wrong and what had failed, he was complaining and whining to God. But once the sin was cleared from the camp, once they heard from God and obeyed and learned how to proceed from God, they were victorious. But the lesson of hearing from God first, instead of acting on your own impulse, wasn't quite learned yet. They had one more lesson of that to learn. And as we go over it, we should consider how mankind is so prone to acting without prayer, without consulting God's word, without seeking God's guidance. Verse 1 and 2, as soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland and all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. Um, this is the first of two main uh, confederations, coalitions that attempt to stop Israel from taking the land. It's the, the one in the south. So all the kings of the south had gotten together. Remember that God held off his judgment on this land for 400 years until the cup of the iniquity of the Amorites was to the full. And that tells us that this area had become very wicked, increasingly wicked over those centuries. They had someone called the king of righteousness in the days of Abraham who Abraham paid tithe to. And so they'd heard the message early on, and yet over the centuries they had moved farther and farther away from it, rejecting it. 
And because they were so attuned to evil, they were open to Satan's influence to try to stop Israel instead of making a treaty. Now, what they said in that, what I just read in the, at the end of the passage, they said, we've heard that you've got to kill everyone in the land. Actually, that is not what Moses said. Moses said, if they open the gates to you and ask for peace, then they can become your servants and they can live. But apparently they didn't hear that part, so they plotted this deception. You could say they were just really trying to protect their land, this coalition, but we shouldn't forget that they were determined to continue in their wickedness and were led by Satan as much as Israel was led by God. This spiritual battle with its long history manifests itself in the world today in the form of anti-Semitism. You know, I'm always, always amazed at politicians, how they can look at the terrorism from certain uh, nations and favor them over Israel, who's our ally and a, a democratic country. It's, it's kind of confusing. And if you want to know more about the, the spiritual aspect that's behind it, Daniel talks about the prince of Persia. He is a, a demonic power that resists Israel, and he's over the land of Persia. Well, guess what? Today, that's Iran. And Iran chants almost on a daily basis, death to Israel, death to Israel, right? That's because that same spiritual power is over that area. We've already noticed that Israel's battle in the physical has many parallels to our battles in the spiritual realm. They began claiming the promised land by miraculously crossing the Jordan River at flood stage and then circumcising the men. And that pictures us coming to our new life in Christ. That's the parallel. Then they listened to the Lord's direction and started with that miraculous conquest of Jericho when the walls fell flat. And that's our honeymoon time with the Lord when it seems that God just takes special care of us as baby Christians and is so clear and just does everything for us. Then compromise entered via Achan's greed and they experienced defeat at I. And that's our stumbling back into the old life and experiencing God's discipline. But after that, there's repentance and dependence on God again, which brings victory. And so it is with us. Once those initial lessons were learned, they rededicated themselves in a covenant relationship to God. They, they built that altar and plastered it and put the law on and, and pronounced the blessings and curses of obedience or disobedience to the law. And in our parallel, we regularly partake of communion and we vow to surrender our lives to the Lord who gave himself for us. And we read God's word. And then we're ready to take our spiritual heritage in Christ. That's when the enemy of our soul begins to really take notice and coordinates an attack to stop our progress in Christ and our effectiveness for his kingdom. And that's really where we are in our study of Joshua, if you look at it as a parallel. The Gibeonites heard of the conquest of, of Jericho and I, even of the, of the past um, uh, things that happened in Egypt. And so they sought to save their lives, really. From verse 3, 
through verse 6. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn out sacks for their donkeys and wineskin and worn out and torn and mended with worn out uh, patched sandals on their feet and worn out clothes. And all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, we've come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. So uh, unlike the rest of the tribes that were in the land, the hard-hearted Canaanite coalition, the Gibeonites assessed the situation with reason. They said, man, if God can do that, to those countries, I mean, those on the other side of the Jordan and here in the in our land, then what chance do we have? So let's make it try to make a treaty with them. So they planned this little uh, deception uh, drama, you could call it. Um, they were the only ones really in the whole land that, like Rahab, realized that God of Israel is undefeatable. And so they relied on this deception to save their lives. If the enemy can't win by a frontal attack, he'll try deception and compromise because he is subtle. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. He's more subtle than any creature. Why didn't the other groups come to that same realization? I mean, if you heard of the things that Israel had done, how the Jordan River stops at flood stage and they walk across on dry ground, would you think, yeah, let's go beat them? <laughs> I'd go, really? In, in this, we can see that most people, even when faced with the evidence, will not surrender to the Lord to save their lives. Hardened hearts are without reason. They prepared an elaborate deception by gathering everything they could find to give the appearance that they'd come from a far distant land. And though they were really living just nearby, a few days journey, it was a well-planned out drama with all the right props. Every indication was that they did make a, this long journey. And then the deception was acted out. And they asked Joshua then to enter into a covenant with them. Verse seven, but the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you're living among us, and then how can we make a covenant with you? First impressions. A lot of times when we face a situation, the first thing, if you're in Christ and walking in the Spirit, the first thing that comes to you is often from the Lord. Initial concerns come to mind because God brings them to mind. There was suspicion from the start that these people lived nearby. And when we face those important decisions and we have a sense that something's just not right, there's this little uneasiness within us, ask God for discernment. Go to prayer. Take your time, check it out, especially when you desire a certain outcome. You see, when we... When we face a situation and we know how we would prefer it come out, the enemy can really use that because he knows our inclination, right? And so especially when it's something we'd really like to see happen and we're faced with that little check in the spirit, that's when we really need to pray and seek God. Our preferences can blind us to the truth. 
And in the verses that follow, notice how the leaders of Israel walk by sight and not by faith. See how the flattery influences them to ignore their first concern. This is verses 8 through 12. And they said to Joshua, where are your servants? And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? They said to him, from a very distant country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and to Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of the country said to us, take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we're your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. Here's our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day we set out to come to you. But now behold, it's dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when they were filled and behold, they have burst. And these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from this very long journey. What a, they should have got an Academy Award, right? <laughs> they began by declaring to Joshua they were his servants. Something you'd like to hear. So Joshua asked them what people group they were from, where, what town, what's, what region. And they never really answered the question. Did you notice that? The only truth they told was the history of God's mighty acts in, in, on behalf of Israel. But they used this truth to back their lie. Deceit is often mixed with facts that are true. We think if one part is true, then the rest must be true as well. But methinks that thou dost protest too much. The, look, look at the breadcrumbs. Look at our sandals. Look at our wineskins and our worn out clothes. I mean, wasn't it a little overboard? It was all a pre-planned effort to try to convince Joshua they were telling the truth. Verse 14, so the men took of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel from the Lord. That's when the deep music begins to play. Bum, 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 bum. The men of Israel looked at the falsified evidence like Eve looked at the fruit on the tree in the garden. Like these soldiers' parents looked at the giants in the land of Canaan. And like Joshua first looked at the city of Ai, they did not ask counsel from the Lord. How did they cross the Jordan? How did they defeat Jericho? How did they defeat Ai? They asked counsel of the Lord. But this time's different, isn't it? I mean... They say they fear the Lord, the name of the Lord, and, and even the demons fear the name of the Lord, don't they? Not everyone who tells you they honor Jesus is a follower of Jesus. I've met people who told me Jesus was their spirit guide, but their spirit guide did not guide them to the word of God. Jesus is the word incarnate. He consistently quoted and referred to scripture. He chose the men who were to convey his message and they quoted scripture. He even said he was the fulfillment of all scripture. So if the Jesus you follow does not lead you to the word of God, you are ent entertaining a spirit as deceptive 
as the Gibeonites were in this story. Moses had told Joshua how to make important decisions in Numbers chapter 27, 18 to 21. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Make him stand before Eleazar the priest and all the congregation, and you shall commission him in their sight. You shall invest in him with some of your authority that all the congregation of the people of Israel may obey. And he shall stand before Eleazar the priest who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At his word, they shall go out, and at his word, they shall come in, both he and all the people of Israel with him, the whole congregation. So Moses, when he anointed Joshua to take over, he told them, you need to inquire of the Lord. You ask the priest. The priest will go to the Lord. He'll speak for the Lord. But this situation appeared to be so obvious. Look at their clothes. Look at their provisions. Instead of listening to their first concern, they listened to the Gibeonites, well-thought-out deception and flattery. Did God not have to annihilate the people of the land because they were so evil? Then why would Joshua expect someone who might be from the land to tell the truth? Can you ask a liar if he's lying? Verses 15 to 17. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them, they heard they were their neighbors and that they lived among them. And the people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Kephirath, Biroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. Surprise, we fooled you. The cities were just a few days away, and the covenant could not be broken. Because they did not inquire of the Lord, those people would re remain in the land. Their territory could not be taken. But we will see how God's going to graciously redeem the situation. Verses 18 to 21. But the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and then all the congregation murmured against the leaders. But all the leaders said to all the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them. This we will do to them. Let them live, lest, the wrath, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath that we swore them. And the leaders said to them, let them live. So they became cutters of wood and drawers of water for all the congregation, just as the leaders had said to them. Now, the congregation rightly complained to the leaders that they had missed God's leading, that they hadn't sought the Lord, but it was too late. The sin of not getting counsel from God could not be made right by the sin of breaking their oath. We often say, two wrongs do not make a right. They had to keep their word, for their word represented the God of Israel, and he does not break his covenants. So they should not break theirs, even if it was made by deception. For better or worse, the world sees our actions as representing our God. 
Besides that, Moses had commanded that if any city opened their gates to Israel, the people could live but would become servants of Israel. The Gibeonites did fear the God of Israel. And this is kind of a, in a way, it's a picture of how the Lord's conquest of our hearts. If we resist his offer of peace, then we'll be conquered. If we accept it, we become his servants. But serving him is a wonderful gift because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. The title servant of the Lord is an honorary title all throughout scripture, the title of prophets and kings. Later in Israel's history, Israel is going to be judged by God because King Saul attacked the Gibeonites, breaking that oath that was made. King David had to make reparations by handing over the sons of Saul. The Gibeonites did live as servants just as they proclaimed, but there's more to the story we'll hear in a minute. 22 to 24, Joshua summoned them and he said to them, why did you deceive us saying we're, we're very far from you when you dwell among us? Now, therefore, you're cursed, and some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. They answered Joshua, because it was told your servants for a certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and destroy all the inhabitants of the land before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you and did this thing. Maybe a better question would have been, why did you expect them to tell the truth? Now, the lesson of getting God's perspective of walking by faith and not by sight is reinforced once again. If Joshua's going to take the rest of the land and fight these coalitions of, of groups of people, he's going to have to learn this crucial lesson. If we are to lay up treasures in heaven and fight the good fight of faith, we need to learn the same lesson. We have a great high priest whose name is Jesus. And he's always ready to guide us in our decisions so that we'll be fruitful for the kingdom of God. He wants us to be victorious and not be deceived. And that's why he gave us his word and the Holy Spirit. These things happen to them as an example for us. 1 Corinthians 10.6 We need to learn from their mistakes. Verse 25 to 27, and now behold, this is the Gibeonite speaking, we are in your hand, whatever seems good and right to your, in your sight to us, to, to do to us, do it. So he did this to them, delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel and did not kill them. But Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place that he shall choose. The Gibeonites feared the Lord, and the fear of the Lord caused Israel to accept their people, including the future generations that would serve Israel. It's, it's amazing to me that the Gibeonites remained a distinct people group even throughout the captivity and to the return to the land. And when Nehemiah rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, among the builders was Mal Malatia, the Gibeonite, and the men of Gibeon. I think the Gibeonites 
did not have to use their elaborate deception. They could have opened their gates and pleaded for mercy, and the outcome would have been the same. But Joshua and the leaders needed to learn that lesson, that lesson we all need to learn. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Walk by faith and not by sight. Don't judge by the sight of the eyes. Man looks on the outward appearance. All these expressions we find woven throughout Scripture because we're so prone to leaning to our own understanding and judging by appearances. We need to learn to become God-reliant instead of self-reliant. Amen? Though the Gibeonites seem to be inspired by the subtle deceiver to infiltrate Israelite with Canaanite idol worship, we see God can take what the enemy means for evil and use it for good. They end up serving the temple with its need for fuel and sacrifices and water for cleansing. And instead of detracting from the worship of God, they start assisting it. And even generations later, at least one of them was among David's mighty men. His name means Yahweh hears, which indicates the conversion of the Gibeonites to the God of Israel. The Ark of the Covenant was even hosted in the town of Gibeon for a time. The Gibeonites were also that, as I mentioned earlier, part of rebuilding and fortifying Jerusalem so the people could worship in safety. King Saul's zeal to cleanse the Israel of Canaanites by forsaking the covenant that Joshua made with them was misplaced, as misplaced as the covenant was in the first place. In the New Testament, we see that wonderful promise that God works all things together for good to those who love God. He even takes our mistakes and the enemy's tactics and turns them around to help us. Sometimes it's growth through testing. At other times, like this account, it's a blessing that we didn't deserve or even see coming. What a wonderful and gracious God we serve. Amen. Everything, everything is for his glory. In the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, 95 sons of, Z of Gibeon assisted. They no longer seem to be mere servants, but part of the Israelite nation. Because it, when they rebuilt the walls, everyone built next to the section to which uh, they were to live. So they were no longer living outside of Jerusalem, but inside Jerusalem itself. Their association with the temple seems to have brought about a full conversion and inclusion into the nation. Now, whether you relate to the Gibeonites or the leaders who failed to seek God's direction or maybe the complaining people that said, leaders, what are you doing? <laughs> the message here is that we serve an amazing God of mercy and grace. He's not willing that any should perish. And though the sins of the Gibeonites deserve death, God not only saw the heart of Rahab and her family, but the whole tribe of Gibeon and welcome their conversion. It reminds me of a passage in Ephesians about us. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to live 
when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of air, the air, the spirit who now works in those who are disobedient, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts, and like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. And I would add, just like those Canaanites in the entire region. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. We're all Gibeonites, destined for destruction, but we heard of the mighty works of God. The fear of the Lord grew in our hearts, and we too became his servants. Servants that make up a temple of living stones. The cornerstone of that glorious temple is Christ Jesus. And instead of sacrifices, we present ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable act of worship. Amen. Amen. I hope the Lord spoke to you through this message today, especially that we need Jesus. Amen. And all our major decisions and every choice in life, even throughout our day, we need to look to God's word, look to him instead of leaning to our own understanding. Amen. Amen. Let's close with prayer. Thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you how we can learn from them and be reminded of the lessons that we need to live out today. So Lord, I pray we would take this lesson to heart, that we would look to your word, that we'd be sensitive to your Holy Spirit, and that in each major decision that comes our way, we'd look to you and not to ourselves recognizing that even Jesus in the incarnation only did what the Father directed him to do. Help us to be the same, Lord. Help us to be Christ-like. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for our time together, for the worship, for the family of God. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, Lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. God bless you. <laughs>